On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses calling all stations. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Ken Gregory and Paul Zotter as we finish out the Genesis catalog with Calling All Stations. stations let's do this let's let us do it let's do it this is you know it's it's funny and i think we've made this comment before the genesis catalog has is bookended by these two albums that just don't really fit in i mean there's there's some some cross-pollination into the the main sequence if you will but you know yeah this is uh this is a different beast um, I, I, I think we should just, you know, dive right into this and, and just get into the context in which this came out. 1997, I, I don't, I don't recall that being a hotbed of progressive activity. Um, and, and, and then we can talk about the obvious differences here and, and go into the album itself. What do you say? I'm very interested to do that because I think it will provide some very good insight as to why I may have liked this album so much when it first came out. (laughs) Really? And yet yet now I'm like, what was I thinking? Well, all right. I'm doing a deep dive, Joe. Just bear with me. Do it, Ken. 1991 was the year of (laughs) Yes Union. (laughs) We're going to start six years earlier just for the full context. Well, I mean, because that's when We Can't Dance was released. Um, 1991 was the year of Yes, Union, Marillion, Holidays in Eden, Mr. Bungle, self-titled, and Rush, Roll the Bones. Okay. And then six years go by. It's a ton, a ton of material. Uh, in 1992, we've got Tool, OPA, we've got Dream Theater, Images and Words, we've got Roger Waters doing Amused to Death, uh, King Crimson is active in 92, The Great Deceiver. Uh, Pink Floyd does shine on. uh, So people are being productive in various ways. Um, 93, Genesis does The Way We Walk, Volume 2, The Longs. Let me see. Did I miss the shorts? I I remember that. Yeah, Yeah, the shorts was at the end of 92. And um, got that for Christmas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tool Undertow, 93. Yeah. uh, Rush does Counterparts 93. We argued about that for a good hour and a half. And then uh, Marillion, Brave 1994. Yay! Oh, wow. Oh. That's and, a highlight. And, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Although and, we didn't um, realize it was a highlight until 2013. You know, um, it, I, it takes some time. Yeah, it, it, and, it and, just takes time. And, 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 and keep, keep a hold of that thought, Paul. Ken, please oh, continue. Boy. And then, yeah, and that's, then, that's and, actually and, not true. Yeah, we knew it was better. Sorry. All right. And and <laughs> while 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 Marillion was making the genius of Brave, Yes was 
bending the the boundaries of the Macintosh with talk. <laughs> Pink Floyd <laughs> did the Division Bell. Asia oh. did Aria. So 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 1994 is a very interesting year. We've got Queensrÿche with Promised Land. They're still in the game. And then uh, um, 1995. It's an interesting one. Um, Spock's beard is active. Pink Floyd does Pulse. Merlin does Afraid of Sunlight. Yes. Uh, yes, yes, yes. 1996 is weird. Uh, Asia does Arena. Um, Rush does Test for Echo, which we argued about for an hour and a half. Tool does uh, Enema, which we'll argue about someday. Um, hey, I'm seeing a lot of porcupine tree through here. So, I mean, I think what I'm trying to say here is is leading up to uh, calling out stations, we're hearing a lot of drop detuning, if you know what I mean. And uh, let me try to finish this out here. And, um, okay, 97. Uh, Queensryche does here in the now frontier, which we say jump the shark, perhaps in some... Oh, not some perhaps. Way. Look at the cover. Jesus. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, now, Merlion is, Merlion is still carrying the banner with this strange engine in 97. Oh, it's wonderful. And uh, September 1997, Genesis Calling All Stations. Mm. Right before Keys to Ascension 2. Wow. And, and if we just kind of think about what was happening in like popular music, like basically, I, I mean, I do remember this, this time of music just being generally shitty right the late i mean i i'm not a big 90s music person you know like yeah you know i guess there are armies of weezer fans sending you hate mail i I guess so right that's just the thing like um if you like you know like there were bands that like vertical horizon and and um incubus that were just starting to do their thing they're just you know putting out their early albums and things like that and I guess if you like the offspring, um, Big Head Todd and the Monsters, which I know just seems to be a really popular with a lot of people, and I'll never ever understand why. <laughs> uh, if you like that that uh, that kind of stuff, you know, I guess that. Um, <laughs> How can it, you play acoustic guitar in pubs and not understand '90s music? I just, I, 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 it's a great question because I played mostly <laughs> the '80s, like and and like Big Head Todd. Everybody, everyone that I've ever played you know played with and in like a in any type of band situation is fascinated with big big head todd <laughs> and i'm and i don't understand they're like oh let's play and they're, they're all like i'm like there's like a pickup jam session there's like six of us and one guy goes let's play big head todd and the monsters and everyone simultaneously starts strumming all the chords and i'm like i don't even fucking know this song <laughs> so i was totally left behind I think some of the interesting, like I think Collective Soul was just a, was just kind of breaking through with. And here's something interesting: you two sort of jumped their own shark with Pop, which I actually Ooh. kind of like that album. Yeah, hey, let's not let's but, not talk um, about that jump in the shark, please. But um, you know, it's definitely a time where even the really good bands are doing uh, kind of weird stretching things out. Matthew Sweet, like just a bunch of stuff that just kind of... Oh, I like Matthew Sweet. That, really um, it just kind of goes right through me, though. For me, maybe I'm just the, the wrong person. You know, Third Eye Blind, like this is stuff that people like, I know. 
but you know, for me, it just it came and it went, and it was like good riddance, you know, like you covered that stuff at the shore. I did. Maybe that's well. That was ten years later, and it was really just because you know I didn't really even notice. <laughs> <laughs> now there were a couple shining moments in uh, 1997. In May, uh, Coil was released by Toad the Wet Sprocket. Yes, and that may have been one of the best albums of um, well the decade, quite frankly, uh, but certainly in 1997. Radiohead had OK Computer. I'm not sure what's on that on that uh, album, Ken. Well, that's that 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 was seminal for me. Okay. When I heard OK Computer, it was pretty influential. It was it was it was one way to get us out of where we were, I would say. And it did draw a little bit of prog, a little bit of noise influence. So yeah, so that's kind of where the state of music overall was. And so it makes it makes perfect sense to me that when when Calling All Stations came out, I thought, ah, oh, there is some sort of light shining through. At the end of the nineties tunnel. Yeah. Were you into live? I hated live. I hated them. <laughs> that was that was I, me. <laughs> I, I, I mean I mean, because we're Pennsylvanians at heart and, and you, you um uh kinda kinda still are. And so um uh, that, you know, the, the pride and joy of what the Hershey or Lancaster, Lancaster area? area, they were some other band and then they changed themselves to live, changed their sound. And I just never liked them. Well, they came up in a brutal yoga class tonight and I actually really, really enjoyed it. But I mean, I mean, I mean, is it Ed Kowalczyk? It's, it, yeah. it's still a really amazing voice there. Their, their yeah. first album was stunning. I thought their second album throwing copper was pretty good. And after that, I had no time for them, but. Well, throwing mm. Copper had the hits, right? Right. Throwing Copper is when they went really big, but I I thought the first one was just it was much more raw, and I love it. I can still just put it yeah. in and rock out to this day. Yeah, Ken, did you mention "Open Your Eyes" by Yes in the? Uh, no, that was right after Keys to Ascension Two, right? All right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is our this is our context, right? So let's 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 put the particulars down and, and get into. So in this. all of that, a song like Congo coming on the radio makes me go, "Wow, this is actually pretty fucking cool." <laughs> so calling all stations, as Ken had mentioned, was released in September of 1997. It was produced by Nick Davis, Tony Banks, and Mike Rutherford. Released on the labels Atlantic in the U.S. and Virgin in the U.K. Band lineup. We've got a change now. We've got Tony Banks still doing keyboards and acoustic guitar and backing vocals. Mike Rutherford doing guitar, bass guitar, and backing vocals. But now we have one Ray Wilson on lead vocals. Joined by cousin of the palaver, Nick Virgilio. That's a joke. He's not really a cousin. And near, I'm going to try to say this, Sid Kiau. Sure. Um, uh, and those two split the drumming duties. Now, Nier is is interesting if you want to play the Six Degrees of Prague game, because Nier happens to be, if you've looked into your Wikipedia rabbit hole, the brother of Tomer Z, who happens to be drummer for Blackfield. Wow. Nice. Okay. I mean, Nick DiVirgilio has many degrees as well. Yeah, Nick, Nick DiVirgilio shows yeah. up in a lot of different places. So 
Um, you know, it's 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 possible that in thirty or forty years, people will be talking about Nick DiVirgilio the way we talk about Bill Bruford and a giant blue ball. It could very well yeah. be. Mm-hmm. So, but <laughs> yeah. So, so the track listing: mm-hmm. Calling All Stations, Congo, Shipwrecked, Alien Afternoon, Not About Us. If that's what you need, the dividing line, uncertain weather, small talk, there must be some other way, and one man's fool. Calling All Stations is the 15th and final studio album by the British rock band Genesis. Released on 1st September 1997, the album was recorded following the departure of longtime drummer vocalist Phil Collins from the band in 1996, leaving only keyboardist Tony Banks and guitarist-bassist Mike Rutherford from earlier incarnations of the band. Ray Wilson joined the band as lead vocalist for this album. Of the three singles excerpted from the album, only Congo broke the top 40 in the UK. It achieved a top 40 placing in at least three other European countries. Calling All Stations reached number two in the UK and reached number 54 on the Billboard 200 and remained five weeks on the chart. The album received negative reviews from critics who chastised its lack of direction. You know, here's... here's I feel like that's kind of unfair, lack of direction, but... This is a fascinating thing, right? I mean, the the last the last three Genesis albums, uh, certainly the last the 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 first two Genesis and, and Invisible Touch, just saw this meteoric, you know, rise of Genesis into popular mainstream music, stadium tours, the whole nine yards. Um, I think. You know, we've we talked last episode about we can't dance, where it it sort of balanced out some of that, and and but they're still doing the huge stadium tour. Phil has this mammoth parallel um, solo career going. Mike and the Mechanics had sort of taken off at this point. Um, actually, I guess they had taken off and probably flamed out to a certain degree. But there's all this going on, and then you've got this long break, and, you know, suddenly before, and, you know, Ken, you had mentioned this before we got on air, right? According to the wikis, Phil was in the band until 96. This wasn't recorded or released until 97. Um, apparently, looking, if you look at the uh, the interview on on this album, you know, Phil said, look, I had no intention of leaving the band, but, you know, personal stuff came up and I had to. So, it, you know, maybe we can suppose, project, whatever, hypothesize that maybe we were on the verge of the next Genesis album when, you know, Phil had to leave for whatever reason. Um, and that left Mike and Tony holding the bag. And what do you do? Uh, you know, I I know a lot of people just bash on this on this record. It's different. Ray Wilson is different. I never really thought he was as odd a choice until I spent you know a, a two hours yesterday watching the 1998 concert from Poland. Ray Wilson was an odd choice to take over vocals for Genesis. Just, not that he's bad. It's just an well, odd choice. 
So I'm glad you said that. Let's just talk about this for a second, right? Well, let's. Because, <laughs> because I, I remember saying long ago when we were talking about Steve Hogarth's joining Marillion that on paper, it didn't seem like the obvious choice, right? For sure. I, I think this very similarly, if you look at whatever post-grunge means, like whatever, you know, this cat was doing, it didn't really seem to fit. Yeah, it should be, he should be the guy in Genesis, right? And not for nothing, what, when did From Genesis to Revelation come out? What year was that? Six, uh, six, 69, I assume. 69? This dude was born in 68. <laughs> he, he he was all i mean he's almost younger than the catalog so you know it, it almost it's it's just like such a strange choice and i, I you know I, I mean we know how it worked out with hogarth it was it was magic i don't i don't think that we we got that here and i found Really, what was fascinating is in is in the interview, the Calling All Stations interview that they did. You know, they it starts with with Ray Wilson kind of talking about how he you know, got the call and he went and he decided to do it because he was right on the verge of doing something else. And basically, in retrospect, he's like, "Yeah, I kind of wonder what it would have been like if I would have just said no." I think he did say better. that. Yeah, he did that, say that. Isn't that amazing? But the guy. His voice only got better with age. His stuff online sounds great. He, he, he pulled it off with Genesis. And just to send him a little bit of love, he is a genuine soul and a genuine artist. And, and I, it's possible I, he would have had an amazing I, career. I, yes, I, I, I agree. Absolutely. And, you know, they also say in that interview, and I think it was Ray who said it, and I agree with him. He said it, it would have been, I was looking forward to writing the next album with Mike and Tony. Because, right. you know, by all accounts, and, and we've come across this before, when you get a new singer who comes in, the most obvious, you know, examples of this are Season's End, where the music was written and Hogarth came in and sang on it. Um, Kansas's Vinyl Confessions, when John Elefante took over for Steve Walsh, is, as I understand it, a very similar situation. A lot of the music existed. And, mm. you know, so it... Those albums don't fully incorporate the character of the the singer who's coming in to take over, um, and and that's what we have here. I and and having thought about this and over the last few days and listened to this record, it's interesting if you listen to it with the ear of did Mike or Tony write this with Phil in mind, right? And, and you can kind of pick out several of those songs that. To me, it seems that it it was almost constructed for Phil, or at least thinking of Phil. And, you know, vocally, Ray Wilson is not is not Phil Collins. So accommodations had to be made. Um, and they threw shade to Nick Davis for being an engineer producer, but not a full producer who could edit their work. Man, Mike Rutherford shat. Mike Rutherford does not like this album and it's it it makes me sad and, and i find it funny because this is like mike rutherford you know f 
doing flexes all over the stage, right? This is as close as Mike Rutherford is ever going to come to being to playing guitar god, right? And he mm. he mm. by from where I sit, he can't stand this album. His his few comments in that interview, Ken, that you're talking about, he seems to genuinely regret it. This album, this entire period, rates a whopping three paragraphs in his book. That's it. And wow. and even there, really? it's like, yeah, we probably shouldn't have done it. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, oh the, thing, my the, God. Fun, the, the interesting thing I thought about when I saw the interview is that, you know, he 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 talked about what I got out of it was that he basically said that Nick Davis was great, but he's more of a um, engineering type producer, like a mixer type producer. He's really good at making things sound really good and putting all the pieces together, but he didn't have a lot of prowess in the department of arranging the songs and coming up with nifty ideas and things like that. And, and that is what I think maybe it was understated in all the previous years, but I think that was one of the things that, that Phil Collins brought to the band more than anything else. He had the, he had the way of putting pieces together and changing the dynamics and looking for the different parts of the songs. I think that that is really lacking in this record. And, and Phil brings that up himself in that interview. It's, it's fascinating. He talks and, and, and I've seen it, both places. So Phil himself mentions, you know, exactly that, Paul. That was one of his roles in the band was to sort of to to balance out Mike and Tony and to make things more immediate. Mm -hmm. um, by by Phil's own admission, he said, left to their own devices, people have to work harder to get, if you will, Mike and and Tony's works on their own. Much in the way that we joke about it took everyone 20 years to catch up with Brave. And I'm not mm. saying that calling our stations is Brave, but but Phil said those exact same things. And I want to say it was, I heard Mike say something very similar that, you know, without Phil there to sort of glue everything together, it didn't work out quite the way that they mm. would have liked. I, I still... This is one of those albums where I will happily and freely admit any any knock you want to put on it, um, but I still really enjoy it. I've 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 had a great time listening to it. I I like I like 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 the sounds on this record. Um, you know, I I, th mm. I think. It's fun to sort of see Rutherford flex his his guitar muscles a little bit. Um, I think you know Tony has some good stuff going on. I like, for the most part, Ray's voice. I like it a lot. Um, I really enjoyed the the concert that they that they did. It's it was definitely scaled back from the We Can't Dance tour, but they did some interesting things. Right, there was. I don't want to say a lot, but but there was a decent amount of time in that show where they ran without a bassist at all, and they just did two guitars, which you know, mm. you, know mm. you know they they were able with they were able with with that particular lineup to break out of whatever constraints that they had been in, and they were able to to do some some different things. 
Um, don't get me wrong. I think it also showed that that particular five piece was not as as practiced, accomplished, and tight as we were used to seeing with Daryl and Chester. I mean, there were some there were some real bad parts in that concert. And you're just like, holy crap! How did that happen? Hmm. But at the same time, like I said, they, they were able to sort of break out and mix things up a little bit. So like when they did that acoustic set with um, uh, what the hell is the first song on uh, Selling England? Dan Dancing with the Moonlit Night and um, the first part of Supper's Ready. I mean, yeah. you know, and, and Tony's out there with, with his 12 string with, you know, all of them. How, awesome. you know, you haven't seen that in, in decades. It was cool. Mm. Let's talk about uh, Anthony Drennan, guitar, bass. And uh, he lends a lot of backing vocals. So you watch the entire show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was a strong contribution. He he is great. I felt I felt bad when he had to play bass because I think he's a stellar guitar player. His Steve Hackett impersonation there in the solo section of Firth of Fifth was balls out, man. So, yeah, it looks like he started with the cores, got into Genesis, and then carried on with Mike and Mechanics. Oh, did he join Mike and the Mechanics? Excellent. It's just amazing how close uh, Nick DiVirgilio came to making it, but they picked Nier, and Nier kind of kicks ass. And 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 I almost like better what uh, Nick was able to do, you know, later on anyway. So, uh, yeah, Nier is... It, it's, it's funny watching that, watching that concert and listening to this album, because clearly, while... Certain members of the Palaver, um, our our resident drummer Jay, you know, first among them, have been less than satisfied with Phil's drumming. I think it's obvious that Phil is not drumming on this record, <laughs> and 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 just watching the concert, right? It's near is you know, you know, significantly younger than Phil, and just you know, his whole his whole kit is totally different. And the way he approaches it is totally different. But I, I do think he acquitted himself um, rather well in that. And, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, I, this, this is a, it's a, it's a strange little album, but I, I always have a soft spot for, for transition albums, because like I said, it's not, Especially this one where Mike and Tony had done most of the writing and they called Ray in and said, hey, Ray, come here, sing on this. Um, and, and, you know, I, the the one thing that we've all agreed upon, and it, it never occurred to me until I started listening to this repeatedly for this exercise, but every song is so fucking slow <laughs> slow <laughs> and it just i feel like i'm being ground up in a machine <laughs> <laughs> it's like let it loose just a little bit please well, they do. They do. Um, should we should, should should we hit that? I mean, um, it, well, I feel like this was more of a highlights uh, 
uh, episode than a uh, oh, please. song by we, song. We, we, yeah, the last time we tried to do that, we ended up touching every song out of order. So <laughs> <laughs> who are we kidding here? Let's, well, let's you know, recognize ourselves. The, r- before we dive in, the question that I want to ask is, you know, what if what if they had done an opposite version of like 90125, right? Like what if they, you know, got to the point and they were recording it and said, hey, you know what? This really isn't a Genesis album. Maybe we should call it something different. Like drama. Maybe we should call it like, yeah, maybe we should call it like Rutherford Banks or something like that. Or RBW. Or, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Like, you know, would would we would I don't know that I would feel different about it because I I, I, I agree. I'm with you, Joe. I have a certain level of fondness for all of these songs. I don't think I ever truly appreciated how dirgy the whole album was until this go around when I was really listening to it. Yeah. You know, trying to listen to the whole album and it's in total context. And I was like, you know, Oh my God, like, <laughs> please. When the dividing line came up, I was finally like, Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> no, but then after halfway through that, I'm like, this song is up tempo, but still it's kind of like dark. Yeah. You know? Oh, it's the whole thing is, is really, really dark, which, you know, I dig, I totally love it. But um, right. let's go through song by song. Let's do this. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I, I, just, I know, Ken, you're, you're anxious to get to bed. Um, so I do. I just I, a couple really quick things here. And I, I've already mentioned this, but basically, I think the absence of Phil, the drummer is felt more than the absence of Phil, the singer, personally. And Ken, as you mentioned, there is almost zero whimsy on this record. I miss the Genesis whimsy. Um, and, and whatever whimsy there is, is not the type of whimsy that we're used to seeing, which says to me that most of the whimsy that we have grown accustomed to came from either Phil or Pete. Yeah. Bingo. And yeah. various British grocery stores. And various we, British grocery stores, yes. As we pass by the whimsy on our song-by-song song review of this, let me know when where they are. There, there's, <laughs> just, there's just a little bit, and it's different. All right, so let's okay. get into this. So Calling All Stations, I think this is a stellar way to open a track or a, an album. I think, I think it really gets right up in your face, and you're just like, ooh, okay, this is what we got to deal with here. Yeah. I mean, good guitar sounds. It's got some balls. You know, Ray called it the mama of this album, and it's nowhere near mama. No, but it's, it's, it's really suspenseful. not. It, it, it is a D minor dirge, but it's a good D minor dirge, and there's a lot of um, wonderful modal shifts that, that we can always rely on from Tony taking us more into that happier Dorian kind of thing that I really dig. So they, they take it into a good space, and it does get... Um, you know, the whatever happened is 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 uplifting. It's kind of nice. I love the vibe there. And then um, maybe it's a hair too long or something or could use another part, but it, it's a damn good song. There's, there's a, a song on Asia's Gravitas called Valkyrie. I believe it's the song that opens the, uh, the, the track. And it is also a song about someone going through the process of of dying so you know this song makes me think of that or i always equate those two together it's it's sort of an interesting spin on or you know it's different treatments of the same sort of subject matter from people from the same family tree which i just find to be somewhat interesting 
Um, I like the fact that it's so heavy. I love, you know, what what Rutherford is doing on the guitar here. Absolutely love it. Ken, what you mentioned about the, the different parts, though, this seems to be sort of a gimmick, and maybe this was part of the lack of production, but this gimmick that's going to wind up manifesting itself in a lot of these songs where they start out one place and they take a left-hand turn and they go somewhere else, and you're just like, what, huh? And it's it's fairly regular on here There's, you're saying within within the verse chorus structure yeah that the chorus could be something totally different right or or they'll right. they'll have they'll have a verse chorus structure and then they'll have like some other structure at the end of the song and you're just like oh okay i guess we're doing that now <laughs> there there's one there's one point that i i really i want to call out because i it just i think it's cool and i think it speaks to part of why I like Ray Wilson. So we've got this, uh, these lines in here. Why is it now when it's too late that I finally realize what's important to me to think everything that's, um, that's dear to me and is always in my heart could so easily be taken and it's tearing me apart. That shows up, I believe, two or three times. And Every time before the last time, if it's once or twice, and I, I don't remember, it's not really important, Ray starts the buildup in the end of that, right? Because, you know, that that's sort of mm -hmm. the crux of the biscuit. And then he pulls it back. Like, you're you're just about to go over the edge, and he's like, okay, wait, not going to do it yet. But that The first delivery of the... Of, yeah. I, I'm going to call that a chorus, and the first delivery right. is brilliant. And And then at the end of the song, when he goes into that again... And he just blasts right over the edge and just mm -hmm. lets it fly. I, I just think that's cool. I, I appreciate that first time when he pulls it back because of the way he's able to just deliver it and, and sort of let that emotion out at the end. And, and that's the thing about Ray. Ray. For me, Ray's vocals really are able to convey heavy-duty emotions. And and I respond to that. This song's a miss for me. Really? I don't. I do not like Mike Rutherford's guitar tone. I would. I think I prefer listening to Steve Howe play "Gates of Delirium" from Yes shows. Wow! Oh, man! Oh, and then this guitar tone. I didn't like it in 1997. I don't like it in 2019. Well, I, mean, I just, you, you, I, it's just what, what, maybe it's, maybe it's because it's, it's not what I think Mike Rutherford is, but I, I, it's totally I different. Hear everything you guys are saying, and I, and I, I think it's, I think it's great. For me, it's just always been a miss, and for me, all the great stuff that Ray Wilson is doing is kind of lost in the linear nature of the tune. That, and just when I'm starting to be like, oh God, this is awesome, it fades out. <laughs> so. It just, you know, it just, kind of, yeah, it's just it's how it's been for me. Uh, One Genesis of those weird, is no, notorious for fades when it doesn't right. have to be. This is one of those weird albums where I've just almost always started on track two. Interesting. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Really? I mean, I like where Tony takes it. it um, just kind of pushing it. Like you said, Joe, they, 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 they pull it together at the end. All right. So, um, calling all stations, 2v1, Congo, <laughs> Congo, Congo.
So I will. I remember hearing this in the radio, driving in my car, probably driving my Ford Escort, in somewhere on two hundred two, somewhere between Wayne and Wilmington, and I came into this song halfway through, and and I, it, the song was in the process of blowing me away, and I had no idea who it was. Uh, I thought it really? was, and I was like, I thought it was kind of weird. That they were saying, you know, meet me in the Congo. I just, but I just really liked it. And then when I found out that it was the new Genesis, I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. I can't wait to hear the rest of it. I'm not comfortable with the premise. After all these years, I still don't get it. Uh, but I can handle some of the music. This is a good opportunity to point out that. The songs are Tony credited to Tony and Mike. Right. So right. it sounds like not only did they have the music all lined up, they had most of the words all lined up. Right. Like, like what were they thinking? Like, wow. <laughs> they just needed somebody to, wow. Yeah. They should have given Ray a lot more time and a lot more artistic license. Yeah, because you wonder if he was like reading the lyrics to this, thinking, "I think I could probably come up with something better than this, guys." You know, should we yeah. take another pass? I don't know. Maybe you know, just well. Keep keep <laughs> in mind that one of one of the songs on which Ray gets a credit, so presumably words, is "Small Talk." So be careful what you well, wish for. You're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Yeah, that's true. They may have just been like, "Ah, uh, you just keep <laughs> quiet, there, young whippersnapper. <laughs> Sing those words." <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not 100 certain. I, you know, I. I so now listen. I, let me just let me just say this. In the long run, even in you know back in the day, after getting the album, Congo also you know kind of slipped to the bottom the bottom third of the of the album for me as well. So, so maybe maybe possibly this is one of the rare albums that I actually started on track three. Now that I think think about it. <laughs> So here's here's my funny story about Congo. You know, and this this is the danger of not reading lyrics. Did anyone else think for years that Ray was singing like a soldier ent? As in Tolkien and Talking Trees? Never. Never? See, that's how I always heard it. So maybe I read too much Tolkien as a as a young person. Um so I, I was I was about to go off on you know this being the most um, explicit use of of Hobbit shit since uh, Led Zeppelin until I read the lyrics and I'm like Soldier Ant A N T ah that's a lot less interesting all of a sudden. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> all right, so you're not going to start a meme. You're not going to be the most most Hitler. Most misheard lyric ever, but it, it, maybe for the prog community, you're onto something. It would have been it would have been funny if you know, like the second that Phil said, "Listen, guys, I'm not going to be able to participate," they immediately started writing about Tolkien again. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. Uh, you know, I I don't I don't I don't mind it. I, again, I I like this album. I listen to it. I sing it all. I have a great time. But I, I can't say I ever wake up in the middle of the night going, ooh, I need to listen to Congo. That's really going to put me in a good mood. Yeah, that's not the one for sure. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Shipwrecked. Um, huh. 
I, I do want to say one thing. There's oh, a yeah. beautiful, there is a beautiful musical section in the con- Congo, which, which is, which is really great. It's sort of like the musical bridge. That's all I want to say. Let's go to shipwrecked. Shipwrecked. Um, was this the video that I tried to watch? I think it was. Um, normally for, for my prep for this, I will, at least for the Genesis sequence, I have been watching the, the Genesis on whatever album interview. And then I will try to partake of a concert video and as well as whatever official music videos are released. And, and I was very excited because I seem to recall that there was a lot of water imagery in the videos for this. And I want to say, so I started with Shipwrecked. And, and I just, I couldn't watch it. The, the video annoyed me too much. It, it's the one with the, where like Ray keeps looking into the camera and it's like a lot of, you know, super quick cuts. And I just, it was so annoying. I, I couldn't watch it. So I stopped. Very um, 90s. Very 90s. Very 90s. Don't care for it. But I really, really do enjoy the song. I like the imagery mm-hmm. of, the, of the lyrics here. And and musically, this song reminds me a lot of We Can't Dance. This is this is one of the, the areas where you sort of, you know, see them looking back a little bit. Wait, just the general album? Yes. I mean, it's more of a ballad. Okay. Right, right, so right, it's, right. It's not yeah. like the title track, We Can't. Right. <laughs> I mean, let's put Benoit David, Ray Wilson, and I don't know, let's say John Davidson in a room for a brawl. You know, who comes out alive? Oh, Ray's going to take them all out. Ah, oh, jeez. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> you know, I well, love John. Ray, Ray I, has at least 15 years younger than all of them. So. <laughs> I think John Davidson has cunning. You think he has cunning? <laughs> and. and, and Benoit has power tools. We, we know he's a contractor. That's I think. So I'm a big fan of this song. I, I, I just love the, the, I love the sound of it. It is a little bit of a simple, contrived arrangement, but, uh, but I love it. And I, and I think the vocal treatment is fantastic. I think he does a phenomenal job singing the song. And um, definitely, this is, this is a highlight uh, for me on the record. Well, it is the first track of the record for you, Paul. the the melody is so gorgeous and Mm. i think um mike and tony knew that going in and i I assume that the the arc that sounds like strings uh came right from tony's soul it's beautiful it's not the burning rope you know it's not really going there right but they're just approaching the space and 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 i really love it i I object to shipwrecked being repeated just once would have done it for me. They could have gone with a more linear thing rather than a pop repeatable thing. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, I don't know. You know, maybe they were, I I, I can't even speak, but they, they were a a bit of a hit machine at this point. So. Right. 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 Kind of veering towards that formula. Yeah. You know? All right. So it sounds like shipwrecked is, is a winner. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Alien Afternoon. Who doesn't love a good, you know, alien abduction or alien whatever story, right? This song is yeah, this this is this is where that whole trick comes in, where you start out with one song and you end with a totally different song, and yeah. I find myself enjoying the first part of the song 
because I love where I know I'm going to wind up at the end of the song. Yeah. That's a, wow. a good observation. I like that. That is not what I expected. You know what? You know what's fascinating? <laughs> you know, you said at the beginning, Joe, when you think about these melodies as if they were written for Phil, I've never, ever considered that before. So as I often do during these, these uh, <laughs> sessions, I just have the music playing in the background. And just by crazy chance, Alien Afternoon is playing while we're talking about it. And um, it's so funny. Like, you listen to the verse, and you're like, damn. You could, you can totally hear Phil Collins kind of singing that. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of this tune, for sure. And, and I think it does have a lot to do with where you end up on this journey. Although, although I'm quite disappointed with the vocoder or whatever kind of effect they put on the keyboards there with the... Oh, see, I love the vocoder part. I think it's it's yeah. a it's a fantastic transition into you know from and this first part of the song is is one of the minorly whimsical parts of the whole thing, right? Yeah. Woke up in the morning, staggered out of bed, thought about getting back again, but went downstairs instead. That's pretty whimsical, you know. Here's the Porsche Lub, just trying to get through the day. Yep. And uh, he winds gotta up. Got to get to work on time. Got to get to work on time. But but again, I think Ray is able to convey this this sort of emotion with with great clarity. So again, for me, the 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 vocoder part transitions wonderfully. And when when Mike's guitars come in under that, yeah. oh, I I just I think that's great. Yeah, I mean sonically, I really enjoy it. I just wish they weren't talking through their keyboards. That's all. <laughs> I just think that not by 1997 we should be done with that. Oh no. Like, it wasn't a good idea on Tempest Fugit. It wasn't a good idea <laughs> on Alien Afternoon. <laughs> when when Ray no, says, like where I was born is where I should be now, that whole section, oh, I love that. Hmm. Although I, yeah. I do think, you know, I, I, I'm while I'm enjoying this, the song musically, I do find there's, there's a, a, you know, a lyrical... Um, fallacy in that you know presumably this person winds up in this alien place whether or not they're completely alone is i i don't know and they're filled with regret and they're like why did i ever leave home but if i if i were to get back home i would never be lonely again and somewhere in one of these songs and i forget where it is there's a line about even when he's standing on a busy street corner he's lonely so, you know, he's got to figure this out. <laughs> well, I was blaming Ray, but then I read the liner notes and now I'm just blaming Mike and Tony. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I think I think Alien Afternoon has Mike and Tony written all over it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and listening to Ray, the, one of the greatest things about, <laughs> about Ray's interview there was, you know, I wasn't a really big fan of Genesis. I didn't even know most of what they did. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, I, this this doesn't seem to be his sort of milieu, if you will. But you know, I think he he's that's and maybe that's what's so fascinating about it is that he's able to deliver it so well, even though it's not really his thing. I mean, this this tune, Alien Afternoon. I don't know why it reminds me of Side B of. Abacab, but it's kind of like a, a dodo lurker. It's like you don't know quite what's going on, and they're being a little experimental, but it's not terribly complex. At least it's listenable. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. And, and, and I guess we should note that the first half of this song, the whimsical part, is the, the, first, uh, the first appearance of Cousin Nick. Hmm. So Nick ah. DiVirgilio does the drumming in the first part, and then Nier takes over for the, uh, the last part. So there's that. Highlight for me, for sure. Highlight. It, I think Nier, I think Nier stuck with Ray. I listened to an, an interview with Ray, and Nier was touring with him. So I, 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 there's some good came out of this. There's some good chemistry there. Absolutely, and and I I I've been meaning to to get my hands on Ray's most recent live work, where he does Genesis stuff as well as his own thing. I remember he came out with a single couple years after calling all stations and i i downloaded it and i really really enjoyed it um never followed up that was on me but uh it's really remarkable you know and all these years i until we started you know doing this i never i i i didn't realize he didn't write any of the songs yeah. right like i i he the performances that he delivers for these tunes are are those of someone who actually wrote them themselves? They're they're absolutely stellar. So it's it's really really impressive to me. And uh, I, you know, I do I do think it's uh, it's I don't know if it's ironic or if it's just funny that you know he barely knew anything about Genesis. Didn't know, I mean he was born when they when they started putting out albums, and he ends up getting the call to be in the band. Does this album? Does a tour? And as far as I can tell, has spent the the rest of his career doing Genesis shows, right? Almost like you know, a tribute band. Uh, no, I mean, he he's he's got a wealth of material. Um, he's a good writer, but but I know I know I know what you're saying. He he can't go a show without an encore. That is a Genesis encore, or yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I saw yeah. a video of him playing. Uh, playing um salisbury hill and i thought okay this is taking things a little too far <laughs> that's well, funny you i have not salisbury seen that hill. <laughs> but but I talking played. about that so so the next song has has ray's first writing mm. credit which is not about us you know say what you want to about this song and i know some people get upset whatever else i think who's getting upset I, who's getting upset I, I, well when are the fans getting upset? <laughs> I don't know. The critics? It's, it's I a, fucking love it's, this it's, song. It's a Go radio ahead, friendly Sorry. song, but I think. Oh, I fucking. Th I, think, <laughs> I think Ray's voice sits so perfectly in this acoustic bed. It is just delightful. Oh. I 100% agree. It's difficult to, to judge Ray on the, the body of work here because I think the lyrics here are very strong compared with maybe Small Talk, which is less so. So, mm. you know, <laughs> small talk. <laughs> I guess we're foreshadowing that small talk is not a highlight. <laughs> I, I'm foreshadowing that pretty heavily. But yeah, I don't like anything with talk in the title. I mean, right. Is it? <laughs> I, I, I like talk. <laughs> Paul, Sorry. In, back in the day, Paul was the one who used to shit all over small talk. And I'd be like, oh, it's not that bad. But. I've kind of come around on that. All right. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those records that, you know, you start at Shipwreck, and you basically go right down through Uncertain Weather. And it's just such a powerhouse collection of songs, I think, that everything around it just starts to pale in comparison. So, you know, did I miss the boat on Calling All Stations? Very likely so. 
but it's I blame I blame the strength of the middle songs. Yeah, not about us is delicious and definitely a highlight. It really is, yeah. And then we go into if that's what you need. Now here's uh, Nick G. Virgilio again. Not that it it's not that it's the most you know earth shattering you know song in terms of drumming, but like for me, this is definitely one of the songs that you you think was written for Phil. You can totally hear mm. Phil delivering this one. At least I can. Yeah. You wonder if Nick knew what the choices were to record, you know, like the album came out and he was like, all right, I want to hear my tracks. And then he listened to <laughs> New Year's tracks and he's like, motherfucker, why did he get that song? <laughs> no. I wanted to play the dividing line, you know, who doesn't want to play the dividing line? <laughs> why didn't they use the second half of my stuff in, uh, Alien Afternoon. What happened there? But yeah, just think about the, um, I don't know if you call it a bridge or whatever. And if there's any kind of danger, I hear you calling out my name. You can follow in my footsteps and I will lead you safely back again. I mean, that's, that, that's it's like tailor-made for Phil. The, the, the whole ambiance mm. of this song, it, it's great, but it's, it's made for Phil. I mean, everything about this particular song is kind of like, you know, a throwback to you know, earlier Genesis, all of their little tricks, the lush keyboards, the melodies, and the little little delay guitar melodies kind of go in the background. I dig it. I dig it. I don't know that it's the strongest of the middle, but it's it's, it's a sweet, pretty sweet song. Well, it does get us into the dividing line. Now, this is probably the first time where you're like, whoa, hey, wait a second here. That you know, it it kind of oh. it kind of wakes you up. I think this is a song that I reacted to very early on, and I continue to react to. Um, I find it musically interesting. I find it lyrically engaging. Um, this was definitely a highlight of Ray's performance um, in that. Oh, in the live show. In, in that live show, as far Poland, as, yeah, yeah, as far as I was concerned, that that whole section in the comfort and safety of your own home. Remember those outside in the cold and the wind and the rain and take in your hands a little ray of light and turn it into a beam that pierces the darkness of the night. God, I love that lyric. That's just badass. And and, and Ray really sells that for me. I would have never thought that he didn't write it, you know, right. The way he the way he does it. Yeah, he's balls out. Yeah, totally. yeah, the only thing I noticed on this is that Tony's primary instrument is an Atari 2600. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, he's really going for some kind of frogger thing here. It's like really wonky. Oh, God. <laughs> so, yeah, I like it. <laughs> just he, And live, I don't know, um, uh, just unexpected. <laughs> it's unexpected. That's, that's too damn that's, funny. That's fantastic. That's what he's good for, changing it up and getting getting weird. I do wonder sometimes about the arrangement of this song, you know, had we had the, the missing piece of, of the Phil Collins input, you know, and, and that while this is, you know, this perhaps is the highlight of the, of the album for me, I, I wonder if it could have even been better had that, you know, some of the arrangement been a little different. Because it is pretty much, you know, Here's the intro part. Here's the here's the song. Here's the yeah. intro part. You know. Yep. 
Uh, yeah. I mean, Phil would have spruced up the arrangement, brought down the keyboard pads a little bit, given it more space and given it a little bit of whimsy. It's a great live tune. Yeah, yeah it really, it, it does. It translates very well live. And this is why we can't totally say this album is a dirge because this one wakes it up. Right. It's true. Yeah, it's true. But most of it is a dirge. It's good to have one out of 11 tracks right. keeping you peppy. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that takes us into uncertain weather. Um, did, did we mention how awesome near is in that, in that song? We didn't. Oh we yeah. Didn't mention that. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, pretty great stuff. Particularly in the live version. Check it out. Yeah. That's definitely going in the show notes. The, the Poland concert. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Near really, really kills it on that. Um, very, very cool. Like I said, the live that that's just a, it's a, it's a great uh, great tune. Really works on on a number of levels. Mm. So uncertain weather sort of dials it back again, but it's so lush mm. and delicious. It's perfectly fine. It really triggered something in me, Paul. You're notorious for finding Duke melodies in any Genesis album. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I found a little earworm in this song. Hopes and fears, important plans, forgotten memories, footsteps fading in the sand, schemes and dreams, small and grand, nothing left to see, footsteps fading in the sand. And where that took me back was this little ditty. But he forced a smile, even though his hopes lay dashed where offerings fell. And they fell. Do you know what that's from? I don't know. But he forced a smile, even though his hopes lay dashed where offerings fell. Can utility in the coastline. Wow. So, so there's a little rhythm in there that, that kind of plays upon can utility for me. Interesting. Ah, cool. That's great. The spoken word part. Yeah. That is cool. I fucking love this song. Really? Um, this may be actually the highlight above the dividing line for me. Um, and in the, in the, in the strength of these, uh, middle six, like this is just to me, it's just an amazing way to end it. I think the everything from the 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 interplay between the guitar and the keys, the the melody, the way he just fucking destroys the chorus, and then he has those high falsetto notes, and then it comes back down into the do 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 do. Like it's really. Just well done from front to back. I love this song. Mm. Yeah, it's just it for me. It, it's it's you know it's like pudding. It's just so easy to 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 consume, and it's wonderful. But mm. but there's enough there that it keeps you engaged for you know longer than the first five listens or whatever arbitrary number yeah. you want to come up with is yeah. it the uh, neo prog is is it is it it is it, it is really neo prog isn't it ken yeah yeah take yeah. it yeah and so now we're going to give ray another writing credit on small talk oh i um i i have to say something about the opening line. What is that? Don't talk back. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, 
no, no, no. This is like, <laughs> you know, this, this, this is like the, this is the new Genesis. This is the new Genesis whimsy right here. You know, it's it's silly. It's goofy. It's darkly goofy. It's just goofy. Huh. Yeah. What year was digging in the dirt? Ninety-two. Um. Holy shit! It was recorded in nineteen eighty-nine and released in nineteen ninety-two. But that has a "don't talk back" thing. But I think it's more appropriate because it's the other person in the relationship saying "don't talk back" to Peter, right? right? Okay. But this is—it sounds like Ray is actually saying to his counterpart, "Don't talk back," which sounds a little bit aggressive. So I don't like it so much well i mean he apparently has some some legitimate beef here so but you know yeah i I think i think in the lens of of 2019 perhaps he's not dealing with the situation in the way that one would hope yeah he he, he's it's pre-political correctness yeah yeah so yeah you know i yeah again i i listen to it i don't skip over it i sing it but yeah, looking at looking at the the booklet here, how and why is this song five minutes long? It there's no reason for it to be five <laughs> minutes long, as far as I can yeah. tell. Yeah, I um I usually don't listen to it. I do skip over it. Um, bottom halfer for me, maybe the worst track on the record, and. Oh. Yeah, just you know, I just listen. I, you know, I, I, I think part of my problem overall, I think if any, if anyone's been listening, they, they know at times I have a very short attention span, which is ironic that, that I like talking about uh, progressive rock music with you guys for three hours on end. But <laughs> yeah, when I, you know, when I, you know, I, when I hear that first thirty seconds of the song, I'm like, enough. Enough, well, yeah, especially just... especially after I just had like an out of body experience coming out of uncertain weather. <laughs> Paul, your brain goes Duke, 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 Duke for thirty seconds, and no Duke. Sorry. <laughs> but um, so Ray gets to redeem himself, though, on the next track. There must be some other way. This is this is his last writing credit on the album. Oh, I should mention that uh, both Uncertain Weather and Small Talk have Nick DiVirgilio on them. Just want to make sure mm. we're clear on that. But uh, there must be some other way. You know, I, 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 I kind of dig this song. I gather from you, Paul, that you, you decide to remove the disc at this point or turn it off, whatever you're streaming or, or whatnot. But, you know, there's... Being a, being a divorced man... I, I sort of identify with this song now, maybe a lot more so than I did when I was younger. Um, and, but there, I just, I like the way that he conveys the whole situation here. Um, it, it's, it's very immediate. It's very, you know, in some ways it's, it's painful. Um, to think it should come to this after all these years, what was mine and what should stay behind? Once there would have been a time uh, um, of sharing, of caring, there must be some other way. Uh, you know, 
we've we've lived that. We yeah. we know what that is, and it sucks. And you know, I, I think I, I think they're able to convey that that whole thing, you know, pretty powerfully here. And and it you know the the song kind of stops and it's it start or it starts and it stops. It, it you know you, you have that you have those moments when your your emotions are running hot, and then you have those downtimes when you're like, God, this mm. just sucks. And then you get mad again. Oh, this sucks. Huh. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know that I've ever been able to make that connection. Um, maybe because I'm I'm distracted by what I think is Ray Wilson's David Coverdale imitation. Um, every time he <laughs> he yelps out, "Show me," there must be some other way. <laughs> um, but you know, to me, the drums are great and the the keyboards are stellar on this so i just i love i love um you know when i have this playing in the house i i i love just jamming out to to some of the stuff that tony's doing here and um at the drums so what do we think about one man's fool actually dig it i think it's a vocal highlight for ray he breezes through the, the upper regions of his register with grace and he puts a new bit of emotion into it that we don't hear earlier in the album. I'd say, I'd say, I'd say it's a highlight. If this were properly produced by, you know, Eddie offered with a knife, uh, this still would have survived. Interesting question. Would Hugh Padgham have done a better job producing this record? <sighs> Do you like Dodo Lurker? Nah. <laughs> Touche, Ken. Touche. Yeah, you know, I don't. I think the problem is <laughs> with the is that there there wasn't anybody there saying, "Hey, we should switch this part with that. We should do this. We should cut that out. We should change this." It was just kind of like, I think it sounds great. You know, like I think yeah. this track sounds phenomenal. It just it's it may maybe isn't put together. Like I think you know you're right on with. Yeah, I agree with what you said, Ken. Maybe if it was not the last track on the album, it would it would find more brain space for me. Because um, I think it is one of Ray's better better vocal. Well, I shouldn't say that of the, of the songs that I would put on the bottom half of the record. It's it's probably one of his better tracks. But um, yeah, I, I don't know that the the I don't know what Hugh would have done because I I. I don't. I don't know that he is the 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 master of that of that song structure either. I don't know. Well, but keep in mind that Hugh was associated with Genesis and Invisible Touch too, and those were you know say what you want to those were pretty tight records. Yeah. So and, and you know he's someone yeah. in the family. Yeah. Eddie offered undoubtedly probably could have worked magic. That would have been an interesting thing to see, but Eddie Offer yeah. wasn't in the family, right? Hugh was most recently. Um, or maybe they could have, you know, called David Henschel back. Um, what would it, what would have Hugh been doing in 1997? Doing something with Sting probably, right? Probably. Mercury Falling or Mercury Rising or Mercury f Frozen? Let's see. Mm -hmm. So what is this about? <laughs> 
as the buildings crumble, tumble to the ground, and the dust filled smoke rises in there, you know, someone somewhere, somebody somewhere looks with pride, they're satisfied. <sighs> you know, I think for for me, I think this. Well, there you go. He uh, he won a Grammy Award in 1997 for Mercury Falling. There it is. So, mm. so there you go. Um, I you know I I think this song just it it does this song in particular lacks a, a lot of direction. It's like this amorphous blob that you can't get back into the box. It, it's it's sprawling. It's it's unrestrained, yeah. and it's it's disorderly. I think. It, it's not that it's bad, you know, but it, right. it just kind of goes everywhere and it doesn't doesn't have anything to sort of bring it into focus. It needs some of those brilliant edits like uh, Domino. Yeah. I mean, Do Domino, we kind of remember it as a pseudo neo prog song with a flow, but then you listen to it and you're like, oh my God, it just bounced from this part to this part to this part. And they could have used some of that here. Mm -hmm. And it does have the little Dystopian uh, theme, not quite nuclear war, but there is something very foreboding in these lyrics. Oh, and by the way, I'm sorry, Hugh Padgham was nominated for Mercury Falling. He didn't win. Ah, he, He's only won four. One Man's Fool is, is almost a perfect way to end the album because it, it's sort of representative of, you know, whatever shortcomings this album may have. It's easy to point to the producer, but you know maybe maybe Genesis had that that magic element in the band already in Phil, and you know maybe maybe Phil the producer was was his absence was felt more than Phil the drummer, and more <laughs> than Phil the singer. <laughs> well said. <laughs> <laughs> But you know that being said, like I said, I, I have I have enjoyed this album since I bought it back when it it came out in 1997. Still have my original CD. Yeah. And uh, you know I, I I am definitely keen to to explore more of what Ray Wilson did after this and and see. And you know, like I said, I I I recognize that this album is not perfect. I recognize that it has some some quirks, some flaws to it. Um, but I, I still enjoy it. Yeah. You know, it brings up two points in my mind when you're saying that Joe is that the first thing is, is, you know, we always talk about, you know, we've, well, we, we don't always, but we've talked about before, like, wow, I wonder what it would have been like, you know, to, you know, rather than this album being our gateway to, you know, to have actually lived through all that before and then delivered, delivered the album. And we fortunately have had some, uh, some friends of the palaver help us out with that perspective. Yeah. But, you know, we did it for this particular piece because like this wasn't necessarily our gateway. And when this came out with everything happening, I was totally digging the record. I was like, this is cool. Yeah. I mean, it's cool. I get it. Phil Collins isn't there anymore. That's fine. But, but, um, you know, in the midst of all of this, in the context of, you know, many years removed from from We Can't Dance, new Genesis coming out, a new singer. Like, I really enjoyed this record. I remember listening to it a lot when it came out, and um, I, I still do. Uh, I still do enjoy it a lot. The other the other thing that it brings up, and it, it makes me wonder. I wonder 
I wonder what would happen if Ray Wilson would join forces with Mick Pointer and they did a, <laughs> a, a tour. Yeah. They could do script for adjusters tier and and then and pretty much it seems like anything that Ray Wilson wants to do from the Genesis catalog. Or the Peter Gabriel well, catalog. Or the, or the Peter Gabriel. I'm sure you have his best interests at heart, but but if you listen to the interviews, Ray is a machine. He 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 travels with the largest band he can possibly assemble together, and he's still pretty active. He he actually covered a Pink Floyd tune from the Division Bell. It's got a really mm. creepy vibe to it that you should check out. So 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 Ray's yeah. legit. Yeah, well, I mean I, I mean we got to know Ray. Again. Yeah. And, and and yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, mean just, I'm, I'm just, goofing around, I'm having some fun, but I, I, I do want to clarify mad respect for um for Ray Wilson on this. I mean, he the, the guy's uh, the guy's killing it and yeah, I mean clearly he has uh, prolific work here. Yeah. He's still, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and no, I get it. And and given the fact that it wasn't even most of it wasn't even his, I, I think he delivered extraordinarily well. Oh goodness, yes. Yeah. So you know this. This isn't. It, it's interesting. I, I I understand why they didn't make any more, but I would have. I would have been very happy if they had. I would have been very keen to see what Ray Wilson would have brought to the table as a more co-equal partner. You know, it, it's funny. One of the things that sort of autoplayed after I got done watching the uh, the the Genesis on Calling All Stations interview, there was there was an interview from it was probably 2007 2008 2009 I don't know it was sometime after the 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 reunion tour with with Phil and the the free roam show with 500,000 people or whatever and they were on some the three of them were on some British morning talk show you know and it was it was so awkward because the hosts were in the middle of the couch and Mike and Tony are, were on one side, and Phil was on the other side, and just the optics of it were terrible. I don't know. Oh boy! I don't know who the who was thinking that, but they they weren't thinking. And all of the questions that they had to field about, you know, if they were going to do another album and and this that and the other thing, and you know, I, I got to give Phil credit. I've I've given Phil grief on previous episodes about being a grumpy old man, but you know, at least Phil. Phil will stand by his 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 point, his perspective, and you know it, it, he had a very interesting thing to say in that. And he's he, at one point, you know, because most of the questions were being answered by Phil and Mike and Tony are just kind of sitting there like, <laughs> <laughs> and, and Phil said, you know, it's quite possible that we could write, you know, more music. He said the question is, would anyone ever hear it? He said, because when we get into a room and, and we write, you know, some, basically some magical things can happen. He said, but if you're going to release that, it then opens up the door to everything else. And, you know, at, at the time, that was a very interesting sort of perspective on that. Now, we all know that, you know, you know, with the with the physical infirmities that Phil hasn't been able to drum, I guess, for quite some time. And so I think that probably never happened. But it was it's an interesting thought to think of the the three of them just kind of getting into a room and, and seeing what popped out. Because that was, you know, how they, they did it. 
and yeah, it, would, it just would have been interesting. But you know, I, I am, you know, it's one of those things where I personally am extraordinarily pleased with the the Genesis catalog that we have. I think it it there's mm. there's there's a wide breadth of material here to satisfy virtually any need I might have. Can you agree? <laughs> you 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 almost went there, Joe. You almost went there. <laughs> you almost said, imagine calling all stations done with Phil and it didn't meet the expectations of the critics. That would have been monumentally worse. Right? <laughs> you know, at, at least at least they went out with this, you know, creation and you knew it was Tony and you knew it was Mike and you knew they were just exploring, experimenting, doing something new with a new guy. And it wasn't like your idols crashing and burning. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that is interesting because, you know, I, I think, and I'm not as familiar with it, but I think undoubtedly some of the later, you know, Phil offerings, you know, they weren't no jacket required. They weren't, um, but seriously. And so, yeah, you know, you always run that risk. You, you know, you're going to have an open your eyes if you put out a bunch of albums. Yeah. You know, yeah. With, all due, yeah. with all due respect to, uh, you know, big friend of the palaver, Joe Cass from Total Mass Retained, who I know is very fond of open your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Joe, if you're listening, you know, mad props, man. We love you. Um <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I think this album's better than than Oh. in my humble opinion, this album is way better. Oh, ab absolutely. than than that one. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, so We've talked about that. I, I do think, you know, in this little wrap-up conversation, it does sort of illustrate the point though that that we've heard Phil, Mike and Tony make in these interviews that we've been watching, which is when the three of them get together, something happens that doesn't happen when they're not together. And, and I, you know, I think this, this sort of proves that point. And, and to your point, Ken, it does it in a way that it, you don't have to see the end of that magic. You just know that if you don't have all three, you don't get magic. So you've, you've proved the point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's different magic. It, 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 yeah. It's a it's a different saga. I just I wish I wish Mike Rutherford was not so down on this record. I am just I'm surprised, given his prevalence on this record, I'm surprised that he does not like it so much. Well, this is not our last Genesis episode. I hope because we we, not. we 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 have at least we've, we've, we've two more, if not we've three. strategically planned this to cover some more material. So there is no lamenting here. There is no sadness. We are still high as a kite on just the whole concept of Genesis. So we'll see um, where we go from here, um, both in our short segment as well as our next long segment. And uh, so, yeah, we've got, we've got the whole world ahead of us. It's very exciting. <laughs> All right. So thanks, gentlemen. I appreciate it. Thank you, Joe.
you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you, and we look forward to your thoughts, your comments, your feedback, your questions on this most interesting of Genesis albums. You can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as at Progpala, or you can search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is progpala at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And as always, we're hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. What is it? What it, the album is? We can't dance, and the song is. I can't dance. I can't dance. Okay, and Ray definitely doesn't dance. Ray doesn't dance, but Ray's got really good like lead singer hair. So, you know, I, presence. I, I want Ray's hair. Not gonna lie. Is he? He's very masculine. Is he the Benoit David of Genesis? Ooh, interesting. I think he's more manly than Benoit. Wow, we're going to have a masculine <laughs> showdown at the Palaver. <laughs>